we took a look at kind of our kids and how they learn and how they learn about the Bible. And we looked at how they just love stories and they love learning through stories. And with us, we can learn through stories well. So today we wanted to learn the whole book of Jonah through illustrations. So you guys can go ahead now. God's story, Jonah. So part of God's story is in the book of Jonah, and it begins like this. God told Jonah, go to the city of Nineveh and tell the people they have been wicked, and they should stop being wicked, or I will destroy them. But Jonah got scared and decided to go to the city of Tarshish by boat. Tarshish is in the opposite direction of where God wanted Jonah to go. Can you imagine running away from God? Anyway, when the boat was at sea, God sent a storm. The storm was so scary that all the sailors thought the ship was going to be destroyed. So they threw a bunch of stuff off the ship. I don't know how less luggage was going to help, but that's what they did. While all of this was happening, Jonah was inside the ship sleeping. The captain saw him and said, How can you sleep right now? Pray to your God and ask for help. Then the sailors decided to cast lots to find out who was responsible for the storm. Casting lots is a lot like the lottery. Except when lots are cast, whoever wins doesn't always really win. Like this time, when the lot fell to Jonah. The sailors asked him what he had done to cause the storm, and what they should do to make it stop. Jonah said, pick me up and throw me into the sea. That will calm the storm. But the sailors didn't want to. They tried really hard to row back to shore, but the ship just didn't go anywhere. So the sailors apologized to God for throwing Jonah overboard. And then, they threw him overboard. I don't know if they ever apologized to Jonah, but God is the one who made the scary storm. And if you're going to apologize to anyone, you should apologize to God. It's just a good idea in general. So as soon as Jonah was off the boat, the storm stopped. I wonder if Jonah thought to himself, what am I going to do now? Well, God had an answer. All of a sudden, a big fish swallowed Jonah. Yep, Jonah was now inside a fish. Things went from bad to worse real quick. Now the Bible says a fish swallowed Jonah. We don't know if it was a whale or something else. But whatever it was, it had to be big enough to swallow a man whole without having to chew. Kids, always chew your food before swallowing. You're not a giant fish. Anyway, Jonah was in the stomach of the fish for three days and three nights. Can you imagine being stuck in a dark and stinky place for three days straight? Like a porta potty? Well, imagine being inside a big fish. Dark and sloshy and really stinky. Basically, a porta potty with fins. After the three stinky days, God made the fish spit out Jonah. Actually, fish can't really spit. Jonah got vomited out. Vomit is also known as puke, barf, pearl, oatmeal seconds, upchuck, blown grits, ralph, toss cookies, technicolor yawn, and chunder. Basically, the fish got rid of Jonah through its mouth. You get the idea? So while stinky Jonah was there on the beach, God told him a second time to go to Nineveh and tell the people to stop being wicked. This time, Jonah went to Nineveh. Listening to God is always a good idea. When he arrived, he told the people that God said they should turn from their evil ways. They believed him, so everyone, and I mean everyone, fasted and put on sackcloth. Fasting is when you don't eat and pray really, really hard. Putting on a sackcloth is putting on a sackcloth. Now, when God saw how they had stopped doing bad things and were really sorry, he decided not to destroy them. 
And that's the book of Jonah. So in case you missed it, here's the quick version. God told Jonah to go to Nineveh. Jonah ran away on a boat. Jonah got thrown off the boat to stop a storm. Fish swallowed Jonah. Three days later, fish threw up Jonah. Jonah told people at Nineveh to stop being wicked and they stopped. God didn't destroy them. And that's a part of God's story. But just wait, Jonah wasn't done yet. We hear more for Jonah after God's not destroying of Nineveh. We get to hear Jonah's reaction to God in this situation in the final chapter in chapter 4. And so it says in chapter 4, But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became very angry. He prayed to the Lord, Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is what I tried to foretell by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are gracious and a compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, Is it right for you to be angry? Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. Then he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. But at dawn, the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry about this plant? It is, he said, and I am so angry, I wish I were dead. But the Lord said, You have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight, and it died overnight. And should I have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals? This is the word of God. Let us pray. God, we know that you listen to us. You hear our calls even in the depths of our lives. You hear us. And when others won't hear us or won't listen, God, you are there and you guide us. Let us focus on you this morning and listen to the words that you have given Pastor Mike today. Give Pastor Mike boldness and grace this morning as he delivers the message that you need us to hear. In your holy name we pray. Amen. morning. I uh, was an associate pastor at a church in Colorado Springs for five years, and uh, one, one Saturday night it snowed about 12 inches, but in Colorado it tends to snow straight down and you accumulate, and we don't cancel church then or now, right? And so we showed up, and there was a fairly sparse group in church, and a senior pastor who I just loved as a mentor, walked up and said, well, now we know which Methodists have more faith than common sense, so welcome to worship. <laughs> Glad you're here. Glad you're here. Um, behind me on uh, my left, your right, you see uh, Dave Dix, uh, who's leading our worship this morning at the keyboard. Uh, so first I want to give you a hand, him a hand and then tell you why. Dave, uh, Dave regularly plays at our 745 service, but Diane Beach, our, our organist uh, uh, and uh, pianist at this service, had eye surgery this week, so she'll be uh, missing, we'll be missing her for a couple weeks while she recovers because the surgery was so significant, she has to stay put. And if you've ever watched Mrs. Beach play the piano, 
This is a huge challenge for Diane to stay put. So certainly we want to be praying uh, for her. Um, you might want to um, give some thought, or I'm certainly encouraging you as a pastor to give some thought to following the, what's called the hashtag Lent challenge. It's reading all four Gospels uh, during the holy season of Lent that begins on Wednesday. Uh, I think there's a, an announcement about that in your uh, bulletin. But if not, you can go to the Version Bible and it's called hashtag uh, Lenten challenge, or uh, you can go to Bible.com and find the same thing. Now, this week we were to wear T-shirts that represent our local cause. Now, I don't always give uh, rhetorical questions, so in just a minute, actually less than a minute, I'm going to ask you to do something we don't do. We, we're going to do two things today we don't normally do. The second one's going to be in just a minute when I say, take a minute and share with somebody you're not related to something that you really love supporting in, in Marion and Cedar Rapids and, and why maybe you're wearing the shirt you're wearing or something else you're supporting. That's the second thing. I'm going to give you about 30 seconds to do that in a minute. The first thing was showing you a book of the Bible the way we did it. So let's do the second thing. Share a little bit about your cause. Talk among yourself. Let's go. So what I hear is lots of support for a lot of different organizations. So um, what a great thing it is. And I think we have to remember that no matter what we're serving, whether it's, it's uh, the turkey trot or some of the things that you're wearing shirts on or some of the things that are embossed on your heart, uh, that we're doing that to serve the Lord. So thank you for that. And of course, now you've talked to a few people, you might be able to evangelize them for your cause. So uh, good for us. Let's go right to the talk. Um, this big move series that we're, we're talking, that we're leading you through over the next, uh, well, all of January and through February is really to help us ready ourselves through prayers and preparation and some thoughtful planning for where we're going, uh, with this church. So the question today, the overarching question is, what do you expect? Well, what do you expect? And, and, and I'm going to target this a little bit around this context. The book of Jonah that we just read shows us this, that Jonah expects God to be different than God plans to be. Let that roll over your head for a moment. Jonah expects God to be different than God expects to be. And it plays out kind of this way in that particular book. Most prophetic books point towards the prophecies, what the prophet is going to say. The book of Jonah is very different in this matter in the sense that Jonah, the book of Jonah, tells the story of the prophet's life. It tells what he does, not what he says. And so there's several things today that I'd want you to learn from the book of Jonah. Quick, fast run through. It starts with Jonah's disobedience. God says, go. Jonah acts, no. Right? You saw that on the video. So God disciplines Jonah. The sailors say, swim, and God says, whoop, swoops him up in the big fish, right? 
But Jonah gets delivered. Jonah prays for deliverance. He cries out, help me, God. And God acts. And I heard this for the first time on the video earlier this week. Fish chunder. Had you, I mean, did, had you ever heard chunder related to vomit? They were trying to like give every part of the United States what we call barf, right? Or vomit or something like that. So Jonah is, is, is vomited up onto the beach. And then comes Jonah's obedience. But be careful. The great sermon of Jonah chapter 3 verse 4 is one sentence. And you see it all. Wouldn't you love a one sentence sermon, Steve? Wouldn't you love it if I just gave a one sentence sermon today? All right. But there's this whole sermon. Forty days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. But he kind of does it like a, you know, a high school sophomore girl. Forty days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed or whatever, you know, <laughs> whatever. He hates doing it. But, but what happens is Nineveh's reaction is complete repentance. Think about this. 120,000 people changed their entire lives. I yearn for a sermon like that. You yearn for me to be able to give one like that. I know. Okay. But here's God's response. God's response in Jonah 3.10. When God saw what they had done and how they put a stop to their evil ways, he changed his mind. And did not carry out the destruction he had threatened. So what you have happening here is God doing a happy dance in heaven. What he sees is his children have changed their hearts and have come to him. This is the desire, uh, one of the great desires God has. But Jonah's response to Nineveh's deliverance is not happy, happy, joy, joy, this is awesome, let's cheer the great things God has done. Jonah becomes the spouting prophet. An absolute pounding prophet. Look what, look what Jonah says in chapter 4, verses 2. Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? He's mad at God. That is why I ran from Tarshish. He's saying, I told you so. I told you you were going to do this. I knew that you were merciful and compassionate. I knew it, God. You're slow to anger and filled with unfailing love. You're eager to turn back from destroying people. So then Jonah goes on and says, just kill me now, Lord. You know, he's had this great evangelistic mission. Just kill me now. I'd rather be dead than alive if what I predicted didn't happen. Think Jonah's focusing on himself a little bit too much here? I'd rather be dead than alive if you made this happen. And so he's got this pouting pastor, prophet, and God's response is as a merciful master. God simply says to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about this? Is it right for you to be a bit angry about this? And then he goes on. He ends the book by saying this. Nineveh has more than 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness. That's a city the size of Cedar Rapids. Nineveh has 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness. Shouldn't I, God, feel sorry for such a great city? Jonah's ministry is particularly and phenomenally successful. And it's incredibly flawed. And it's useful for us regarding where we're at right now. I'm just going to give you three action learnings today, just three. You know the story of Jonah. We've worked it over a little bit this morning, so let's take it and run with it. Action learning number one. The people we are to reach for Christ are not all here yet. Drink that in. The people we, I mean us, Marian Methodists, are to reach for Christ are not all here yet. You see, God is eager to pour out mercy and grace upon those who accept him as Lord. 
This is a simple truth. And you've heard all of your life, and, and, and I'm going to ask for a little bit of a response here. Have you heard that all people are the children, are, are, are all people are God's children? Have you heard that? All people are God's children? Have you heard that? Nod your Methodist little heads. All right, good. Thank you. We've heard that before. And look what scripture says. All people are God's children, but not all people are the children of God. What? All people are God's children, but not all people are the children of God. This is what that means. God has already dictated before the beginning of time that you were his. He put your spirit in his heart. He gave you a grasp of eternity, but not so much that you could understand it. And he claimed you as his. That makes you one of God's children. Now, the backside of that is to embrace that, to receive your salvation, you have to claim who your daddy is. So even though God claims us all as his children, until you claim him as your God, you are not a child of God. Do you understand that? That's really clear scriptural truth. You have a decision to make. You must receive Jesus Christ to be considered a child of God. So all all people are God's children, but not all people are children of God. It's important to understand that distinction. Because if you look around at yourself in this little group that we have gathered here this morning on a fairly snowy morning, we are not the last at Marion Methodist. We're not to be the last at Marion We might be the last in this group of buildings, but we are not to be the last at Marion Methodist. Our stated mission is to what? Make disciples of Jesus Christ, right? Make means build more. In that context, right? Make disciples means make more. We're not the last at Marion Methodist, and I got news for you too. We're not the first either. Oh, some of you may feel like you're 177 years old, but you're not. None of us were here in that first group. I've been to the graves of three of those that were here in that first 11. We are not the first here. Someone made or is making us disciples now. Someone before us made us the disciple or is making us a disciple now. The next, the next, the next Methodist, the next Marian Methodist, those are our responsibility. Those are our opportunity. The ones that are yet to come. Do you see who can, we can reach for Christ that's beyond here? Do you see who we can reach for Christ beyond here? I, I, this is not my first building project. As a matter of fact, as a pastor, it's my eighth I was 23 in my first building project. We were building a, gonna build a youth building at Colorado Springs St. Paul's Church, which, glory to God, by the time we got it done, it was the entrance to the youth building, because then we had to build the real youth building, because we went from about 40 in attendance to 300 and some change in, in fellowship on, on, on our Sunday night programs. But, I remember at the fundraising meeting, a fellow named Bud Owsley, he was an engineer, not a pastor, engineer. He stood up kind of in a place like I am right now. And that church was made of two, two former sanct- two sanctuaries. The former sanctuary that had been cannibalized to become church offices and the new one that we met in that was built, you know, in the sixties or sometime. And he stood up in the front and the place was pretty full because we were getting ready to do a building vote. And he says, raise your hand if you were here when this sanctuary was built. And, you know, about half the congregation raised their hands and he said, now you need to understand 
that there was a lot of people that built the sanctuary before this one and a lot of people that helped you build this one, right? All the heads said yes. And he said, now raise your hands if you've come to this church since this sanctuary was built. Of course, the rest of the congregation raised their hands and he says, good, I'm glad you're here because we're the ones that are building for the next Methodist. We're the ones that are thinking right now of people just like you who aren't here yet. I thought, that is magnificent. I heard that when I was 23. I said, someday when I'm 58, I'm going to say that again. (laughs) Because now we build for the next us. We're building for the next us, whoever they are. People need to be seen. We need to see all the people. We need to see them all. We need to see that people need the Lord. And I'm talking about people in the global general sense, all the people that we come in contact, all the people that are around us. And we need to see the specific needs of certain someones in our lives too. We need to see your people. You need to see your people, the ones who need the Lord. See, Jonah loves the idea of growing the kingdom of God But he runs from Nineveh and her people. He doesn't want anything to do with them. He wants the kingdom of God to grow, but not with them. He wants to go somewhere else. I'm going to tell you the case of Chris. uh, I'm going to call him Chris because that's his name. So I don't have to hide it because he's moved away from here now. But about 10 years ago, Chris's spouse started coming to our worship services. She was invited by one of her friends looking for a church. Chris, her husband, wanted no thing to do with God, Bible, church, any of that. She started to come with regularity, bringing the kids to Sunday school with regularity, brought them into Bible school, would talk to me with some frequency about her husband that that had no real inclination, interest about the church, and actually had some reservations about does God exist, is God real, all that sort of thing. And I said, I'd like to talk to him sometime. And she tried that, and that didn't work, until finally something happened out of Bible school that he came one day, and I met him. And then he thought it was safe enough to send me an email to say, tell me about God, I've heard this, this, and the other thing, what do you think? Long email, because he's a bright guy, had a lot going on in his mind. And I said to his spouse, please pray, She says, I've been praying for years for him. I said, well, pray more because we are targeting him. And I started going back and forth on emails. Then I went to a couple guys I knew because he worked at Rockwell. You guys have heard that, right? Heard of that? Okay. It's a fairly big industry in our town. And I went to two guys that worked at Rockwell and I said, I've put a target on this man's heart. You need to find a way to invite him here. Well, he's married. Why doesn't his wife? She's been doing it for 100 Sundays. Your turn. These two guys, members of the church, no different than any of you, a little bit shocked when I called them and talked to them about this, uh, took the challenge on very seriously, tried to work into conversations where they could talk about God, Bible, Jesus with Chris. And all of a sudden, with one of them and her spouse, he shows up in church one day. Way more questions than interest. Way more pushback than agreement. But he was in there. He was in here. Because he'd been targeted. As a couple years went by, he came to church more and more. 
more and more emails, more and more conversations with these two guys in our church. Obviously more stuff going on at home, but I wasn't there. I just heard tell of some of it. And then one day after our 945 service, I was frankly um, trying to say hello to people and get down and recaffeinate myself. And I felt this arm of a a hand on my uh, arm and I turned and there was Chris and he said, what must I do to be baptized? And Chris became a disciple. They sensed uh, promotions, whatnot, took him away from here. Last year during Lent, I got an email. Uh, 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 he had to write letters every day during Lent to, for something that helped him in his spiritual life. And he wrote this letter to me. Dear Pastor Mike and the people of Marion Methodist, thank you for targeting me. Because I would have never known Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I would have never known the joy of my eternity with my boys and my wife if you people had not targeted me for salvation. You see, we have people that we need to target because the people we are to reach for Christ are not all here yet. Who is in with, within reach of you? Who, who do you see There's other Chris's all around us. And you don't, by the way, get it done by one invitation. None of us are as good as God with Jonah. You don't get one invitation, one sentence. They say, oh, well, since you mentioned that, I'll turn my life around and just follow you. No, that's not how it works. You target and you work and you pursue. But don't run from them. Because if you'd have met Chris before he started coming here, you, because you're like me, would have said, there is no way... (laughs) No way that engineer is ever going to find his fanny in one of these pews. But that's my perceptions. That's not what God was seeking to do. We can't run away just from people just because our perceptions are something up. You can never, ever, ever, ever give up anyone in regards to the kingdom because they are not yours to give up on. They are not. They are God's children. And we're to try to help them become a child of God. We need to fall in love with this. The people we are to reach for Christ are not all here yet. Can I get a little amen? Or a Methodist patty cake or something? Second action item. Second action learning. To fully embrace what God is doing, we must see the value in this moment. I mean this moment. To fully embrace what God is doing, we need to see the value in this moment. There's a high value in the move. I'm not just talking about finances. There's a high value in the moments that we're on with this right now. This is once in a lifetime because I guarantee you we're not doing it again. Right? I can get an amen to that, can I? Yeah. See, it won't be repeated. It can't be replicated in our time. So we need to embrace the value of what God is doing in our move. This is the largest building program in 60 years of Iowa Methodism, both by square foot and by dollars. This is a really big deal. We're not going to run from it. And one of the most glorious things that I see about this building program is that everyone has participated in it. This can only be from God. Let me tell you what I mean. See, a lot of people, well, for a lot of reasons, call me foolish. But for this one reason, they really called me foolish as a pastor. Morgan, fundraisers and others said, you don't have a single angel donor in that church. An angel donor is somebody that could come up with half 
or a third of it, you know, two or three or four million dollars. There's churches in town that have had five angel donors pay for more than half of their building program. That would have been so much easier on all of us. Except we wouldn't have believed. See, the beauty of this building program is we don't even have a $200,000 giver. I don't even think we have a $150,000 giver in our building program. We have a lot of fives and tens and 25s and that sort of thing, which is to say that we took this building program first as an act of faith up on our shoulders. We put our faces to the coal and we're doing it. Everybody's participating. Do you understand what an act of God that is for, for 2,200 souls to look the same way at anything? Oh, I get that there's still a few of us that are a little bit reluctant. But, but what a magnificent thing to claim the moment to say, we need to value this moment. We're moving together because I got to believe this is only God and I'll caution you this. Because Marion, city of, might not even notice or care. I was at City Hall within the last month. City Hall at which John Terry, myself, and many others have had quite a series of meetings about this building. And I had an employee of our city ask me, so when are you guys going to start building that building? I said, oh, we're thinking of getting started here fairly soon. <laughs> but, but, but the point being is there's a lot of people that don't drive up Highway 13. There's a lot of people that aren't in tune with what you are. They're not coming to all these sermons and seeing all the signs and all that kind of stuff. They might not notice. Nineveh would not have noticed their wrongness of ways without Jonah. They needed an emissary. They needed someone to come by and say, you have a chance. Turn your life. We want people to see it. We want people to see the great thing that God is doing in the building of this building at 5050 REC Drive. We need to make sure they see the great thing that God is doing. Of course, we need to be a little bit proud of what God is doing because we've listened to it. We've put a lot, you all have put a lot of money, time, effort, all that kind of thing in there. But the victory that we need to enjoy, we need to enjoy the victory that God is changing the spiritual and the physical landscape of Marion, Iowa. That's what I'm just just excited excited to know, and I know this for a fact, that unless we talk it up, unless we tell our people, and it's getting to be three months now, so you need to start talking to your friends and telling them the great things that God is doing in this building project, otherwise they might just not notice, and we get one chance to do it, one time, in our lifetimes. It won't be repeated. It won't be replicated. So third, action learning number three. We must expect and welcome God-sized results. We just have to. Churches are not used to extravagant, or churches are used to extravagant plans, but not much results. One of my main things about a church is to never promise what I don't believe God will deliver here and to never say, oh, let's all do this in a vacuum, make these great plans and say, we're going to do this. It happens all the time in business, doesn't it? Hey, we're all going to do this. And then a month later, everybody said, what happened to this? Well, we're going to do this now. And then you don't do it. I was at a thing in 2000. Greg Palmer became our bishop. God bless his heart because he meant well. But he, he called it the bishop's vision. He cast it out there. And all the Methodists were supposed to do this. There's four things. Listen to this. I'm making fun of my tribe right now. Four things we were supposed to do between 2000 and 2008. Number one, grow by 100% in membership. Uh, you've just experienced as a denomination your 48th year of consecutive decline. We didn't get the 100. But we did cut our losses. That's not success. 
20% of our pastors in Iowa by 2008 were going to be fluent Spanish speakers. 100% of the churches in Iowa were going to give their full apportions to the general church and we were going to start 20 new congregations between 20, 2000 and 2008 and we accomplished none of it. We did 0% of those things. I drug a bunch of people into my sanctuary to hear this great thing. Watch on the screens. There were, a Story City Church was full where the bishop was talking. We, but as people listened, even in live where I was sitting, you could tell that they were absolutely overwrought with apathy. They couldn't care less to care less. They didn't even have enough energy not to care about it. No results. Because they had no expectations of results. So no results happen. Well, I got to tell you what. Marian Methodist, that's us. We must welcome and expect God-sized results. That's why we've been chugging along at this. Not doing anything unsmart or, you know, so crazy out there. But we need to expect and welcome God-sized results. <laughs> Jonah received God-sized results and he hated it. He hated everything about what God did. God did exactly what Jonah thought he would do. He hated it. All these once dirty sinners were now reconciled and part of the kingdom of God with him. They were with Jonah now. That is the one thing that Jonah didn't want. He did not want to be with them. He longed for the old days when those people were destined for hell. Think about that, church. The prophet of God longed for the day when all the folks in Nineveh were destined for hell. That doesn't sound very good religious. But we have to love God-sized results. See, I got to tell you what I'm praying for. Listen to me, Methodist, because I'm almost done. Well, for today. (laughs) Within a few minutes, just within a few minutes, you're all going to, like the Oklahoma Sooners, rush into that sanctuary and find your favorite seat. And I pray, I'm praying for this. I am praying that as soon as you have your seat established, as soon as you find the place that you like to hear from and see from, I am praying that somebody looking for a place in the kingdom of God comes right in there and takes it before you get there. And I feel the same way about your parking spot and your seat at the fellowship hall. All those things. Because then we'll be able to say, thank you, God, for bringing more to us today than we're here before. Within a few Sundays, within a few Sundays, at whatever service that you pick, whether it's the 815 or the 1015 service, I pray that you start looking around that sanctuary and say, I have no, no idea who some of these people are. And your pastor will say, praise the Lord. Thank God that you have done the work of seeking to make disciples of, new G, uh, of, of people of Jesus Christ, that you've been calling people to show up out there. Within a few years, I hope to waddle up into the middle of that giant chancel stage and say, folks, it worked. We got to build another dozen rooms on the education building. I don't want to have another capital campaign, but praise the Lord. Let's get our checkbooks out and let's build this and say, thank you, God. I could hope for nothing more than that. And by the way, I could go on and on. But I'm going to take my leave and say that Marian Methodists must welcome and expect God-sized results. You and I, Most of us have received Jesus Christ into our Lord, into our lives as our Savior. He changed our life. He changed my life. He's changing or has changed your life. 
And I got to tell you, if we're really Christians, we must crave the very same for everybody we come into contact. We have to be excited to make room for others in the church of Jesus Christ. We crave for our mission statement to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world to come true. And we cannot be mad at God if our seat or parking space gets taken if he calls us to build a whole other building on the end of the building that we just built, we cannot be mad at God for producing the very results that he has prayed and hoped and dreamed of producing through us even before we were born. You can't be mad at God for acting on God's own dreams and hopes for his people, the church, and for his people, the folks of our metro area. So friends, learn these things from Jonah, the pouting prophet, and do everything different than that. I sell that in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. And of course, you know, I can't have a moment like that with, without having a great moment to kind of bring us towards a conclusion. So I'd like you to all welcome my friend Judy, because she's got a great announcement to bring. Come on up, Judy. Good morning. On the move, I love this theme for many reasons. Having moved to Marion two and a half years ago, I understand the term on the move. I left a small town church where I had been a very active member for 36 years. I left that area because God was pushing me to move here. Even though it was a big move from the area and the church that was home for half of my life, It was definitely a God-driven move. I could spend hours explaining that, but I'm limited to 60 seconds today. So, while on the move to Marion, I was introduced to Marion Methodist and instantly fell in love with the caring, friendly, welcoming staff and congregation who immediately accepted me as a believer and offered places for me to fulfill my role as a disciple of Christ. When the Transform campaign kicked in, I was in awe of the participation and the drive to get her done. Today, I'm here to praise all of you for supporting God's plan for Marian Methodist. The Transform campaign level of $1,225,000 has been reached. As the cover is removed, showing the seventh piece of the puzzle in place, let's hear a rousing praise the Lord on the count of three. One. Two, three.